Welcome to another episode of the Chip and Gary Tennis Show. Uh, Chip won't be here, unfortunately, but it's not too bad because he was an Arkansas Razorback, and we're down in the 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 deep of Texas. We're gonna go down there, and I'm gonna take you back. Speaking of Texas, when uh, I was coming out of high school and going to college, and Thought I was a little hot shot and went down there and had living, lived on my own out of Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, had a roommate, Stuart Keller, who was a uh, competitor of mine in junior tennis, and I think we played a time, and, and uh, you know, we were fighting to be the best we could be to get on that team and play high on the team, and um, so we were competitive and we were also roommates. And, you know, at the University of Texas, we had Moore Hill dorm. It was a small room like all dorms are. And so our beds were about five feet apart from each other. And I remember that first semester going down to the Houston Fall Festival in Houston to play and played a doubles match against Stewart and his partner, who was our number one player at the time, Gonzalo Nunez, who later won the amateur grass courts and was a great player from Guayaquil, Ecuador, and kind of a mentor, a protege of Pancho Segura, and a super player, and they just beat the pants out of us. And I was mad and a hot, you know, immature kid and got all mad throwing my racket probably. and. Came back, it was Thanksgiving, and I was homesick and just a little baby. And uh, I was mad about it. And I, I, the coach said, Coach wants to talk to you at Belmont Hall. Now, Belmont Hall is underneath the football stadium. It's where all the athletic offices are. And you really didn't go into that office too much where the coaches were. And so I went over there and I said, Well, I'm sure this coach is going to understand what I say when I tell him how unfairly I was treated in this tennis match down in Houston. And uh, I went in there and I said, Coach, I can't remember what I said, but I said, you know, it's, you know, uh, not, it's not fun. It's not, you know, I'm not being done right, treated fairly. And I was hoping he'd say, well, we'll straighten this out, Gary. We'll get to the bottom and see who was doing wrong. And he just looked me in the eye and he said, well, Gary, if you're not happy, you can always transfer. <laughs> and I was shocked. I said, oh my gosh, what have I done? So it was kind of a shock to my system because it, it really kind of grounded me because the next semester I had a fairly good semester and got bumped up to the top of the chain there. After Gonzalo got stomach muscles pulled, you know, I coincided with me doing well down at the Rice Invitational and beating Steve Wedderburn, who was a semifinalist in the NCAAs the year prior from Oklahoma City. So everything kind of turned out well, and Stuart Keller and I, I'm happy to say, are, are best of friends now and, and uh, really, really a close friend. And But it's funny how when you, you get away from home, you, you need those mentor, mentors or, or somebody to kind of set you right. And that's who I've got on the phone today is the, the only guy that I call coach. Uh, although I've had a lot of coaches, this was my coach because he helped me grow up a little bit anyway. And 44 years later, which was this fall, I go down to a football game and I'm inducted into the Longhorn Hall of Honor, which very few tennis players get to get in. So again, I started thinking, I guess I was a hot shot and went down there and got my award and, you know, it 
towards the end of it, one of assistant coach, he said, you know, Gary, he said, uh, Coach Snyder was in there for 15 years saying, "We, you know, what about Gary Plock getting into this? And somebody stood up and said, you know what? This guy's been talking about Gary Plock all these years. I think we ought to think about it and let him in. So I guess I got let in because of uh, the determination of Coach, and so that was a very special moment uh, for me. Well, thank you, Coach, good, but good it's, it's, it's yeah. good, good to have you on here, one of the winningest coaches in college tennis history, Coach David Snyder. And, uh, Coach, welcome to the show. And uh, why don't you tell thank us you. a little bit about, you know, your, I guess in your early 80s right now, and when you started in, in Kansas, tell us about how you grew up and how you got into tennis originally. Yeah, I grew up in a little town, or fairly little, about 10,000 people in Winfield, Kansas, not too far from Wichita, the big, one of the big cities, I guess you'd say. Uh, we had a coach in high school, junior high and high school, really kind of a town coach almost. Curly Vaughn was his name, and he had, was kind of a Pied Piper type guy. He had a good personality. He usually had a, had a chuckle or a smile on his face and a twinkle in his eye. He got it was likable and the kids would come over in the summertime and hit balls as part of the recreational program that he helped organize at the high school courts and then uh, he got it started in junior high he'd line up guess anybody want to come out for the team could and he'd had a pretty good number maybe 30 or 40 almost he'd sort of line us up and uh he didn't have time to coach that many people. He was high school coach as well as junior high. But what he did in junior high was just have an odds and evens day. And one day the odds would play. And if you'd win, you'd move up a notch. And then next day, evens and odds, evens, odds, evens. You had a chance to move up, kind of like you were trying to do in college. But uh, so we'd play maybe one set. We'd go fan out all over town. or Not that it was that big a court or that, that, many, that big a city or that many courts. But we found our courts and played and then came back and told him the next morning for school who had won and he had this little ladder tournament these tabs and we'd move our name up if we had won so I got up moved up the ladder that way in junior high and got kind of a reputation for being a pretty good tennis player I, I, don't, I guess I was a top junior high player before it was all over with but uh, and some of the better players of course kept thinking about high school after that but uh, some of them quit playing maybe because they weren't so successful but that's kind of the way he found his players he was good at spotting other athletes in town at playing football or basketball or baseball and his personality kind of won people over as far as at least trying tennis out and seeing if it was something they were pretty good at and had a knack for in high school I, was, I think I was a sophomore maybe I, I was maybe second or third player on the high school team when I finally got up that level, that grade. But uh, we had another fellow in town, Mel, Melvin Hillier, who ended up getting to the quarters at Kalamazoo National. So we had some talent in town. Previously, we'd had a string of state champions Curly had. I think there may be as many as 12 or 13 in a row almost. One of them, Lucian Barber, had gone to Stanford. He's sort of the most notable. And he came back after college. He was about 10 years ahead of me, maybe 8 or 10. And uh, when he came back from Stanford, he would uh, hit with kids as well. Uh, Curly had been a player, but he was older and wasn't playing when I was in high school. 
But we had another high school player, uh, Frank Scarth, is good player. He ended up, we ended up going to national interscholastic. Uh, Where was that, Coach? Where was that in Culver Culver Institute at the time? It was at the University of Virginia uh, in interscholastics. Now, how did you uh, get been, to the interscholastics? Previous years, I think, but it was at Cal- it was at, at, uh, at, at University of Virginia. At that that was about 1951 or two, right in there. I graduated in high school in '52. So, did you drive all the way to Charlottesville? No, no I don't. Know. I guess I don't remember. Uh, we might have. In those days, we seemed to catch buses or or uh, I see or trains. I, I, I there's several stories. I re, I did some hitchhiking too, but I didn't hitchhike that <laughs> trip. I don't think. Uh, we it was anyway. Curry was good at. He probably got some business people or something to help a little bit. And, and uh, my family, my dad was. A, teacher and he didn't have that much money to send me around but we somehow kind of scrounged up the money and and uh, Lucian who's in a businessman uh, knew kind of we were verge of maybe being national uh, caliber and uh, so they had you know we were doing pretty good at that time we were playing Missouri Valley tournaments and uh, I, I was getting some Missouri Valley ranking and then uh, in fact I think my last year in juniors there I think I got beaten in the semis there's a fellow named John Bean it was quite good uh-huh. and uh, oh, a kid named Anderson from from uh, Oklahoma the Art Andrews from Iowa City there were some pretty good juniors and uh, I ended up getting beaten in the final or semis I think in juniors but I got the finals of men which is kind of unusual uh, at uh, and I don't at the sectional championship but uh, anyway, those were good years, but I was looked after. This Curly Vaughn really I considered, uh, you know, sort of my guiding light, my mentor. And, uh, and Lucian was still playing, and could, he would kind of show me how to hit a top spin back end and things like that. He was a little bit more of a technique-type person, and uh, and he played tournaments, so he knew. We kind of got to find out what it took to play you know at that level and uh so I, I was lucky i grew up in a tennis town so to speak we, there wasn't that baseball wasn't doing all that well or track i mean we had those teams in high school but to see like most of the best athletes or at least the most success was uh the tennis team and, and it's partly because it, mainly because his curry would find young kids and keep them kind of bring us along it sort of there's only three or four courts out there so you had to be pretty good to get on the high school courts even it was sort of a kind of like earning your jersey in basketball or something you had to <laughs> kind of earn what you you kind of had to it meant something when you got to play on a number one court or something like that and the courts were right there next to the high school it seemed like people we could kind of look out windows or the high school it was sort of tucked in there in the middle of school almost around the school kind of surrounded and it it seemed like tennis was pretty you know getting some recognition or these people knew who was out there on the courts maybe people kind of drum, drive by and yell at you or something but it, it was a pretty well recognized sport in town it's interesting um when you talk about the missouri valley which kansas i guess was certainly yeah, part Iowa, of. oklahoma kansas uh missouri yeah. You know, after that, uh, you know, after you a little bit. I mean, the, all these names uh, 
you know, the Chuck McKinleys and the Buckholzes and the yep. Parkers and the Jimmy Connors. Yeah, they came after me, but they were a big shot. They were really, they were famous, but, so to yeah, speak, they were the class of the Missouri Valley at that era. And the Missouri Valley, for, you know, a kind of heartland area, really produced a, a great amount of tennis players that were missing yeah. some. I know there was a, a, a hanky, or I'm thinking of the girl Sussman, and uh, there were... Yeah. Quite a few good players, but so you know, and then um, I, I think I remember you talking about hitchhiking. But was that the Kalamazoo where you hitchhiked? Yeah, you, we hitchhiked up there. The, the Nationals. I, I had, uh, yeah, that uh, we played the sectionals, I think, in Iowa City, maybe. And then uh, Melvin Hillier, who's a year older than I, we we took off and got out there on the road, and and uh, we were trying to hitchhike together, but we didn't have any luck, so. <laughs> we sort of we separated and took turns. Uh, one of us got out in front of the other, and uh, I thought I was pretty lucky. I got a couple pretty good rides up towards South Bend, which is where the Westers was at Notre Dame. Uh -huh. And I remember sitting there eating supper, and I thought I was sort of feeling kind of cocky. I thought I was pretty, <laughs> did pretty darn good getting up there. By supper time, it took most of the day. And um, darn if I'm sitting there eating, and I look up there, and here comes <laughs> Melvin Hillier walking in with his suitcase. <laughs> he went very far behind me. We, we, <laughs> but that was, you know, I, I guess in a way I look back at some of these kids that that are, uh, you know, successful. I wonder if they've ever kind of, you know, kind of grinded it out like we did. We we were pretty, you know, you go through that to get to a tournament. You, you didn't. You didn't take your matches lightly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It was a big deal getting there. And, uh, yeah, and you knew your folks were sacrificing to get you there. And you had a guy like Curly Vaughn and Lucian Barber back home that were keeping up with you and trying to get they were responsible for getting you, kind of getting your plans together and stuff. So Didn't want to disappoint them, did you? Didn't want to disappoint them, no. Well, you had some great parents, I know, and 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 your dad was that Kansas Lutheran in Winfield, uh, Kansas. Southwestern is a Methodist school. Southwestern, yeah. Uh, and then, so so after that, you 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 played the junior nationals, and and then, how how did it come about that you uh, went to college? Well, this Melvin Hilliard, Curly and Vaughn had written to uh, Dr. Penick, the coach of Texas, and and Melvin Hilliard, I told, mentioned earlier, was a good. He'd got the quarters at Kalamazoo. He had he got a scholarship down to Texas a couple of years ahead of me, and he didn't make it. Uh, he quit school after about a semester. He wasn't very academic, I guess, but he, in a way. He, uh, so I kind of thought that burned any chances I might have. But when I won, uh, I won the state a couple years, I don't think a couple, three years. And uh, after I got to Kalamazoo and got to the quarterfinals, Curry said, well, let's, I'm going to write Dr. Peak again. And uh, so he wrote him, and, and Dr. It turned out he had a scholarship available there at uh, policy more or less or his philosophy was to get Texas boys to be a Texas team and uh, but it turned out there wasn't anybody much coming out of Texas that particular year just so happened there's a fellow named Alan Graham who got a scholarship but he didn't last very long either uh, he kind of decided he was tired of tennis uh, so but in a way I doctor Ed 
more or less invited me down to visit. They invited me to come see the school, and they wanted to sort of size me up, I'm sure. And so there's, there's another case where I hitchhiked down. I told Dad I had more time than money. and uh, But this is up to Kalamazoo, so I'm in August. I had a scholarship to Oklahoma State, and my cousin, Myron Roderick, was a well-known wrestler. He ended up winning a couple of national championships and going to the Olympics. And is that like right? That. Did not know and, uh, that. He was, in fact, he was an Olympic. Uh, he, he was a coach at Oklahoma State at age 22 or 3. He was uh, the youngest college sport coach ever, I think. Uh, but uh, I was, we were supposed to room together, and they were trying to recruit Myron so hard. I think they wanted me to help. Does that happen? <laughs> so, uh, but because they knew we were close. But I end up. Decided if I was ever going to be a player, I better go to Texas. Anyway, I hitchhiked down there to Austin. From and from where? Uh, from where? From, from Kansas? Winfield. This was after Kalamazoo. So was good, good, around the house. If good I 700 home, miles. Oh, yeah, about 500, 550. I had to, but I was going to end up having to mow lawns or paint the house or something. If I did, if I stuck around the house, Dad didn't want me sitting around. So um, I, I took this. I hitchhiked down there. I think he gave me some money for bus ride or train. I said, well, I'll give it back to you if I have any luck hitchhiking. Otherwise, I I will. Um, Anyway, I got down there, and um, and we... You know, he took me around uh, the campus a little bit, took me up to his office and gave me a little little information. He uh, kind of advised me on how what went on at college and how I had to manage my time and things like that. So before I left, I think he offered me, or at least soon after that, he offered me a one-year scholarship. If I could do all right the first year, I'd, I'd have a scholarship. It gave me, I had a scholarship, but I, it was just for one year if I did, had to do good. So, um, and which is kind of ironic too, because once we got to, I got to Texas, a freshman didn't get to practice with the varsity, so I don't know how he's going to know I did good, but how, I was gonna, how I played. Except we just played Austin High and some other little, I think we played Rice, the only other school. Really? So the freshman? And I was the only guy on scholarship once this Alan Graham dropped out. But, um, I'd going back to that recruiting trip, I remember Dr. Petey uh, dropping me off at the end of, he kind of went out to the edge of town and dropped, I said, well, just drop me off out here at the edge of town. I think it was Highway really? 77. And he kind of, he, he, I got out of the car and he looked at me and says, you know, I don't feel too good about this. And I said, I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, I want to ask you about that. We're going to get into Dr. Panic a little bit, but... Um, what, what about hitchhiking back? I mean, you know, of course, you would never want your son or daughter hitchhiking uh, in in our day or your grandchildren. Uh, but but back in that day, it was it was it was a little different, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I, I but I've told people I wouldn't pick myself up. You know, I've never said one of those deals where it, you just sort of took a little bit of a chance. I had you know, there's a time or two you wonder how safe it was to get in the car. But uh, it was generally, like you say, people, for one thing, you were, look, you were young and looked like a high school or college kid and you had a racket, maybe, and that, you know, they, they knew what tennis was. They could probably put, figure it out pretty quick if they wanted to, if they were in a halfway mood to stop for somebody. And it wasn't too unusual to see people out hitchhiking. It wasn't. So that, that was, but that's an adventurous time, you know, because yeah, you're well, on your I'm own. Like and people would hitchhike short distances from one little town to another. I was going across country. Gosh. So, 
That's amazing because you're a fairly conservative guy, but it was just a different day back then, I guess, and probably yeah. not as many cars on the road, obviously. But uh, uh, talk a little bit about Dr. Penick and, and, and so the listeners know a little bit about how, uh, how, how great a man he really was. Well, he's kind of hard to describe, but in a sense, he just was so... Uh, in so many things, and everywhere he went, he would seem to be a leader. He was a classic, he was a professor of, of uh, Greek and, and uh, was highly respected on campus. As a, and, it, and of course, that was kind of good for the university to have a coach. The athletic department had, had one of their coaches who was well thought of all over campus. He was, I think, a representative represented the University of Texas Athletic Department at the Southwest Conference meetings, and uh, very active, very busy in church. He was uh, head of a school glee club, and he was active over in the YMCA. And he just everywhere he went, he seemed to be highly respected. He was up in his. 80s, I guess, when I was there, so he was wasn't doing anything very, wasn't very active physically, but he had played some tennis, uh, just I think more or less like a good club player maybe, but he had some great players through the years. Texas always seemed to, they had good courts, we had uh, grandstands that were up, you know, elevated eight or ten. 12 feet above the court looking down. That's the only place I'd ever seen, except maybe Kalamazoo, where you had elevated seating uh, features, and uh, people would come out to watch matches. And he had some great players back in the 40s and 50s. Uh, you know, the Camrad, Bruce Barnes, Wilmer Allison was the greatest. Had a, uh, a lot of national champions, or at least two or three, uh, and and uh, had, they were always well represented in national uh, rankings and in, in college tennis. So he, he just had a string of great players. I think we had scholarships, we had the courts, we had a great school to come to. And he seemed to, he could almost wait till the state high school tournament and give a kid a scholarship if he won the tournament. It's sort of like they got the kind of pick of the litter. Well, you know, that's that's interesting, and what the listeners may not know is you and I have talked in the past because um, me being from Kentucky and Adolph Rupp being such a great basketball coach who started out at, at the University of Kansas under Fog Island, um, but uh, Adolph Rupp and Joe B. Hall were the only coaches, and there may be one in there for like eight, 70 or 80 years because Rupp coats for 47 years or whatever and uh, similar to that Dr. Penick um, and I know he taught you all a lot of life lessons even though he might have been not the player that you were as a coach but uh, and definitely not Wilmer whose people are going to hear about in a little bit but you know, Dr. Penick and, and Wilmer Allison and you coached were the three University of Texas coaches in, in what span how many years did that cover? started off just kind of, I think he just sort of liked to play and got people out. It probably started as a club type thing, but I don't know exactly when it became recognized as a varsity sport, but I think in around 1910 or somewhere in the early 1900s, and he coached up till. So he was coaching in the 1910s, you're telling me? 10 or 11 he, right in there. There's wow. some pictures over there on a the wall. Uh -huh. I don't remember the first ones, but he coached for 46 years or something like that. And then I 
uh, I, I was on his last team. I graduated in 56, so maybe you could do the bad, but he That's, was, yep, 47 he was years. I don't know exactly when it became an official sport. But then Wilmer, and then Wilmer was 16 years, and then I was 28 years after that. So <laughs> we had, you know, T, UT guys. Quite a, quite a span. Yeah, so so you were, uh, how many years were you, what, were you well, coaching? Well, I came in, in it's it 28 years I was 28, there, so. I came in in the summertime, and anyway, right, it, 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 20, I think I had 27 teams in 28 years, just the way the months worked uh-huh. out. So about 90 Wilmer years. Wilmer was the greatest, of course. Wilmer was, you know, we just sort of passed by him, but he was a national intercollegiate champion and was a national champion at Forest Hills. And uh, was on a Davis Cup team ten years and won a couple of Wimbledon doubles championships. I think he, I don't know if he got I, I don't know if he got the Wimbledon finals or probably semis at least. He was he was in there with the other great players, but he was a world class player. He's kind of like we might talk about McEnroe or someone like that today as, as far as his era. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because to for for what the the viewers the listeners need to hear about that is when he's saying the U.S. Open at Forest Hills, he won the U.S. Open singles. He was a a, a doubles Davis Cup champion and singles for many years, and then he he retired from it all and, and moved to, to Austin. Now your daughter's named Allison, uh, coach. Did you name? Her after the Allison name, or yeah. you just like the My name? My son is Rodney Daniel after Dr. Penny. Ah, I did not know that. that. No, and, I didn't. And then Allison, we like that name. Uh-huh. And uh, you talked about U.S. Open. The Open the, actually it didn't become official the U.S. Open until after his era, but that uh-huh. was a, that, that was the Nationals. Everybody Nationals. Was there. Now, now he beat Fred Perry that year. Uh, well, he may have. I think semis. Uh, beat him in the semis and Sidney Wood in the finals. Wood, in maybe. The finals, I think. Maybe yeah, 1935. Was yeah. Perry was uh, very dominant, too. I mean, they were rivals. And I, I, truth be known, I imagine Perry beat Wilmer more than Wilmer beat him. But they were they were great rivals and, and the two best probably in the world, of course. Yeah, I think that Perry kind of slid and hurt his leg in that match and uh, a little bit and then got up and played and he beat him and then I think he beat Sidney Wood in the finals a little easier. But uh, yeah, pretty that's, that's pretty yeah. uh, pretty incredible coach. Of course, you know, uh, I guess you all didn't overlap, Doctor. I mean, Wilmer came in after after you were gone. But you had a you had a teammate that was quite a player, didn't you? Well, Sammy Jamalva was great. He uh, had a, great, a junior champion out of Houston. And uh, people know his son, little Sammy, but... And Tony. Uh, Tony, too. So, yeah, they're two fine players. Uh, but Sammy was a year behind me, but he won... Uh, well, I'm trying to think. He, I guess I know he and Hernandez got to the finals of semis. I think Sammy lost to McKay, Barry McKay, in the finals in NCAA a year later, probably 57. Uh, and there's another kid named Richard Keaton in Austin. Uh, players Daz Dina Law School was uh, playing with Sammy in doubles. Uh, with my senior year, Sammy and I won conference, but he was, had been chosen to play in a Davis Cup. Um, and Billy Talbert was a captain, and he persuaded, and he kind of urged Sammy to go over and play 
some of the preliminary tournaments plus Wimbledon, and that was going to conflict with NCAA, but he wanted to get some grass court experience because they're going to have to play the Osage uh, on grass. And so he, uh, they kept holding Rosewall era. And uh, so. And Neil Frazier, Neil Frazier too. They came along, yeah. They, they had a string of great players there. Sedgman. Uh, yep. Yeah. The Shedsman's head of, was about, was before. Uh, oh, was Brom, it? before that. They just had him one after the other. But uh, Sammy went over to play Davis Cup, so we didn't get a chance to play NCAAs together. But he was, he was a, he was a class of, he was the best player on our team by a pretty good margin. I he was, he was a good athlete, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He didn't get a chance to play as a pro. I think, you know, he his oldest son was having some health issues or something, and he, he was married to Cecile, uh, a San Antonio gal, and they needed the money. And so he ended up, Gladys Hellman got him a good pro job, and he ended up making needing to make money, and he played. Uh, he, he coached and taught the club more than they couldn't really pursue his what we might call a pro career as wow. a player. What a sacrifice to make for your son. Yeah, well, he, it's just what you did. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Well, um, so when when along the line you, you were single and you were in school, when when did you meet your wife? Well, she was in a in a history class. She was on the front row and I was back there on the back row. <laughs> <laughs> She's That's pretty I. far away, you know, Coach. Yeah, front well, row. we... We bumped into each other leaving a room or something, I guess. Uh, actually, she uh, they she kept she she had a good she was friends with Lawrence Becker, one of my teammates. And when Sammy went over to Wimbledon, Becker was the next guy in line. So he and I played NCAA's, and um, she knew him through church and uh you, you know college youth program at the press trade church so she she'd invited him to, uh, if he needed a place to stay i guess that knew to stay over at her place during the sectionals in san antonio and um the place i, I was going to stay with uh, another uh tennis players but it turned out to be a hammock I, it wasn't much of a very, wasn't going to work very well so he said we got an extra bed why don't you come on over to Nancy's house and she said that's okay when he kind of checked it out so I ended up getting to know her well during that weekend I got to we uh, spent time together and had some good times and uh, that's kind of when we started dating and uh, we we ended up writing letters that was for internet and all the <laughs> all, all business calls yes it was serious. Yeah, so that was in uh, 56, summer of 56. I was out of school, graduated, and she had another year. And uh, so we were, but we were kind of starting to get kind of serious after that. And um, later on, and um, so, you know, that's how that all kind of started. So when, when, so about what year was that? 56, I graduated here in Texas, and then I had, 
gone through ROTC, and I had, but I had one year before I had to go in, so I went back to Winfield and took Curtis' place there at Winfield from uh, 56, 57. Is that right? Well, let yeah. me ask you this, Coach. It wasn't wasn't fifty six the year that you beat the number one player in the world, or who had been the number one player, Neil well, Frazier in yeah, Southampton. Yeah, I mean, that summer uh, we went. That's a pretty good win, number well, one guy in the yeah. world. Well, he ended up the next year. I think the next year, maybe he was in one night, won the Open, or what we call the Open today, won the Nationals. That Neil Frazier win. Neil Frazier, the left hander, and it was kind of a unique yeah. match, wasn't it, Coach? Well, yeah, we played it. Southampton, and you talked about uh, Wilmer and Fred Perry uh, when injury kind of entered into it. I guess he, the Australian team, came over for the grass court circuit, and that was that was Southampton and and Newport and Boston and uh, East Orange. Anyway, I'm not giving them an exact order, but uh, Southampton was usually about the first one on the grass. He, they came over and, and uh, the team, I don't know who all was there, but Emerson was sort of the, the one of their stars. Anyway, I played him and I played Fraser in the semis, and, uh, but he, I think he got a cramp or pull muscle or something maybe, so that helped my cause. Uh, but he, anyway, they wanted, they said they need to take him to see a trainer or something. So in the middle of the match, after the second set we split, I guess, they uh, they asked to be all right to leave and go see some doctor. And anyway, they went over to a trainer and uh, all the guys on it, you know, they came over and said, you're crazy, you could just take a default. But uh, <laughs> the default wasn't going to do me any good, you know. <laughs> you wanted to beat the guy. I had to, you know. Great player, one of the I, best I, players I, in the world. I, I needed a third set, so uh, we, we he came back. I don't know, maybe twenty or thirty minutes later, and we played the third set. And I I pulled that out, and anyway, that was that was it. That, I guess it was a quarterfinals because I lost uh, Emerson in the semis, about four and four, and then I think he beat Grant Golden. Chicago people know about uh, him in that part of the country. He is a great father son player. Played doubles with. Uh, Ted Barson, anyway, he yeah. was a Chicago very, very popular, well-known player in uh, that Chicago area. Anyway, he, he, I think Emerson beat Grant in the finals, maybe. Well, that's a great tournament. I mean, four and four, four and four with Emerson is nothing to sneeze at after beating uh, Neil oh. Fraser. Uh, although I always loved those lefties, so you yeah. had to you had to beat the lefties. Right. Well, it was just you know we didn't know what we were doing. We just played. And it was kind of funny because it, it put you up in these rich places. That, this was at Southampton, but not, I think I stayed in some driver's apartment or something for some <laughs> rich people. It was a sort of an upstairs deal. And uh, Whitney Reed was a roommate up there. He was kind of a wild man. Whitney Reed, yes. What yeah. a character. And, um, it, so it was, you know, one of those kind of experiences. You just sort of tried to find it. You didn't know people you sort of that's how you learn found out about people and who's it was just knocking around trying to do the best you can yeah yeah well tennis you really do you learn different cultures by traveling around to yeah, these different and you spots had to kind of find out who's going to the next tournament see if you could hit your ride you know that sort of thing oh, i see or if you had or if you had a car you were people were hitting you up for you know see if they could help pay your gas and catch a ride so uh, it was it was interesting times. It's I, I don't know about 
like you said earlier, I don't, you don't know if you're, you want your own kids to do what you did, but that's that's the only way you're going. That's the way you're only going the way you're going to make it. That's right. And I think it made it more meaningful if you did have some success. At least you knew you were paid your dues. Well, tell me about getting married, and, and tell me about San Angelo. Oh, okay. Well, I, actually, we started. We kind of got serious. At, I came down, told her I'd come down for Thanksgiving. We, I started to teach up in Kansas, and Nancy was still here in Texas, so I came down that Thanksgiving. I thought I was coming down Thanksgiving. It turned out I was, uh, Texas celebrated Thanksgiving on the last Thursday of the month. The rest of America was celebrating Thanksgiving on the third, on the uh, fourth. Thursday, and there were five Thursdays in 1956. There were five Thursdays in November, so I, I get about as far as a Red River. I get to Denton, Texas, or somewhere, and I realize I'm listening on the radio. I realize I'm coming a week early. I'm coming. What's Thanksgiving in Kansas? Turns out it's not going to be Thanksgiving down there in Austin. <laughs> For another <laughs> week. Oh, I was about ready to turn around and go back. I called my friend Neil Blanton, who was down here, a teammate, and he knew I was coming. And I said, what do you think? And he said, well, you're that far. You might as well keep coming. So uh, I came on down here, and uh, we had about two or three. We had late, what we call late dates. Of course, it's about time that kids probably start their dates today. <laughs> but it was, they, she was due back in the dorm around probably 11 or something, and I had to, she had to kind of get two or three permits to stay with a friend's house or something. So she'd come in from these, uh, she'd already been booked up. There was a formal or something. She she had a sorority formal or something she invited some guy to. And uh, so I'm, I'm waiting around the corner for her to get up. <laughs> <laughs> so she had guy. another, Nancy Bitter had another date? Is that what you're telling me? Oh date, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting the late date. I'm getting seconds. <laughs> but... <laughs> But anyway, it was uh, it kind of made it almost more interesting than ever. We uh, we had two or three good dates, and and uh, we're getting kind of excited. We liked each other a lot, and uh, that was so. I, anyway, I ended up going back to Kansas, to, you know, on a Sunday night late, and she goes back to school. But we're writing letters by that time, and uh, about every day, and. Uh, I think we. I came down again at Christmas time, and I think I proposed about an Easter vacation or something like that. Anyway, we. I came down two or three vacations. She made one trip up to Kansas to meet my folks, family. So Is that it was right? Kind of a. It's one of those kind of a deals. So did you did you propose to her and then go talk to her, Mr. Bitter or yeah, and Mrs. That's Bitter? About it. Yeah, uh-huh. I think you got it. I had to, I told him we were. I was, wanting to marry her wife I get his permission or something so yeah she stayed at a place called a Christian faith and life community over near the campus and uh, I remember seeing him over there one evening they came up from San Antonio his dad was her dad was in the Ford business class before down San Antonio but they'd come up to, to spend a little time I guess with her and with me whatever and uh, that's when I asked if I could you know permission to go on follow through on this proposal so that's the way it so you got forward. married in San Antonio yeah the following December yeah by that time I'd gotten uh, I had to go in the army that summer after one year at Winfield coaching I was a junior high and high school coach 
and had all the PE classes from seventh grade through twelfth. That was that was a that was a deal. They were all in one school, and the kids from seventh grade through twelfth grade they were mixed up in the same classrooms. It was a I don't know if I did too good a job there. That was a assignment, but we had a good high school team. Actually, we won state singles and first and second state doubles. These were kids that Curly had. You know, he was kind of bringing it along. He knew he was a good athlete and got him playing. And, and uh, so I had a good high school team. Uh, I just laid my lap. Well, that must have and, been fun. I mean, you coming back yeah. as kind of a favorite son and coaching the team and yeah, taking had, over for Curly, who helped yeah, you. Yeah, I think I'd had an undefeated football team. We played two or three games. <laughs> uh, you coached football. Seventh grade or something. Uh, you, know, they, you do everything. you gotta, you got to coach ever sport. Because I was a, and I had about an eighth grade basketball team that, that uh, and then I had a high school, junior high and high school tennis. And you, you know, you did high Y and Y teen everything. I mean, you, you know, you had to wash the towels and take care of everything you could around the athletic department. If a football coach need you out there to do something, you do what they ask you to do. Yeah, that's just the way it was. Okay. Quite a few hats. So then, 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 where was your next job? Well, I went in the service, and uh, I don't know exactly when, but Ted Barson would, I played him before at uh, sectionals. Uh, anyway, he was from San Angelo, and I was getting out of the service, knew I was getting out. His old coach, that was named, called him Claude Woolley, chemistry teacher, was ready to retire or at least quit coaching. So he kind of set it up for me to go to San Angelo if I wanted to check it out. And he thought they wanted to, they needed, they could be use another coach if Claude Woolley retired. So I went out there uh, after, I don't know exactly the hour of the month when I, uh, interviewed out there. That was kind of a funny story because I've been out of Texas about a year or so, but I went out to interview for the San Angelo job, uh, and I was in the service from in 1957-58. But in a way, I went out to interview, and the uh, superintendent was a fellow uh, had gone to Texas, and then the, the principal had gone to the University of Texas. Wachek was named the principal, and White was named, I mean, the superintendent White was a principal. And we're in there interviewing, and they hadn't, we hadn't much started talking, and, and they wanted to know who's going to play quarterback for Texas next year because they thought I'd know being coming out. I hadn't been gone from Texas very long. That's a typical, you know, question who's going to be the next football star. And they were asking me questions that didn't have anything to do with tennis. So I, pay, I got to thinking pretty quick, you know, I'm going to get this job because they don't even, they're not even asking about tennis. But uh, I got, so I ended up getting a job uh, out there at, at mid-year. I, I was at, I guess I finished up in, in late 57 or start of 58 at uh, mid-year. I went out to San Angelo and I was there just one semester and we had some pretty good players. They've got district and regional, that sort of thing. Uh, a fellow named Alan Anderson and Wayne Downhire were kind of our two stars, if you want to call them that. They were the top players and good players. Anyway, we, uh, while I was there, Wilmer sent this little flyer around. I guess the University of Arizona, they apparently sent some things out to different 
coaches saying they were scout out a little notice that we're looking for a tennis coach. And he sent it on to me. And uh, so my wife, Nancy, was a good, helped me put this letter together. She could make sure I didn't misspell or get my periods right and so forth sentences. <laughs> so she ended up, we wrote a pretty good letter, I guess. Anyway, it was good enough to get the job. I wrote out there and I got the job kind of sight unseen. I just was high school coach at San Angelo and I hadn't been there but three or four months and they, they uh, hired me. They were looking for someone with a master's degree and I didn't have it. I just had finished college, more or less. And that's the University of Arizona that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, University of Arizona, uh-huh. yeah. So they offered me this job. I ended up taking a pay cut to go out there. It wasn't much maybe, but I was making something like 4500 a year at San Angelo. I think Arizona's 4300 or something like that. <laughs> well, you, you're talking, you, you say 140000 a year? I said 40, I said 4,500. <laughs> uh, you're talking. So, uh, anyway, I lost a couple hundred in the deal, but I. I hadn't thought about college too seriously. I thought eventually, but this was a chance to go to Division One school. And I thought I had four scholarships. I said I had four scholarships. So when I got out there, I, I kind of, she was, uh, we got out there and uh, darn if I go to check in to find out what, a little bit more about the job. Turned out there were tuition books or fees. I didn't have any full scholarships. And, um, and they, it, it, anyway, it was, but it's okay. I just, I was just trying to get started, and I had to. So you had like a half scholarship to work with. Yeah, was four, that I just half. For a whole months. team, you had a half scholarship. Yeah, yeah, for. Um, but you got some great players. There were some. There was a couple of great players. One really great player that came in well, there and played for you. Tell us a little. Turned out to be awful good, but the yeah. best of all was Bill Lenore. I was lucky as heck there. Uh, just a blessing. Now tell he us about a, Bill Lenore and his well, two he's hands. A kid. His dad had two. His dad. He, his dad came in there about the same time I did, and he had these two boys with Carter, the older one, and Bill Lenore, who's really the Great, best of all. Anyway, he was a world. He was a high class, world kind of nationally ranked type junior. Top and, nationally uh, ranked. Yeah. And it, he ended up getting to the semis of Kalamazoo the Nationals one year, and he got one the next year. He beat Froling and and Ralston both. Uh, really. Kalamazoo. And, Boy, and that's he, great wins. Yeah, and he's sitting right there in hometown. I'm, I'm a. Uh, I'm working out with him. I'm kind of hitting with him after practice and our guys were gone. So I got pretty close to him, but and I don't know if that'd be legal today, but we just hit over, he'd come over and we'd hit balls and play sets and things like that. Tell us. Balls, but about the time he was uh, coming on, he was just about a junior in high school when I first arrived and, and this fellow in town, Joe Moeller, said, you need a fool to get Bill, don't you? And I said, yeah, uh, we will. Everybody else will be offering MSC and UCLA and people. And that was our big competition. And then, uh, and he said, probably need somebody to practice with. And I said, yeah. Anyway, he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to try to come up with a full scholarship. Do you suppose that University of Arizona athletic director, you think they'll match it? And I said, I don't know. But he said, well, I'm going to set up a lunch and I'll talk to him. So we, we go in this... Um, to this lunch, I think, and the athletic director brought the business manager along with him, uh, a guy named Phil McLaughlin. And uh, so 
we go down to sort of a pretty nice hotel type place and hotel and have a meal. About towards the end of the meal, this Joe Moeller says, uh, Dick Kloss is the athletic director. He says, you said, Dave's got this top junior in the country here and he needs a, he's gonna have to have a full scholarship. He's gonna compete with these other schools that would like build a better team. Cause and um, he says, I'm, all, I'm willing to, to get a full scholarship, pay for full scholarship if if the athletic department will match it. Well, they, they didn't. They kind of started choking on their food a little bit, but they, they the athletic director said, "Well, let me." Finally, we're leaving. He said, "Let's just let me think about that." So one thing, I, we're we're leaving that room, and I'm kind of out in front, and I hear this Phil McLaughlin, the business manager, reached, he got, leaned over towards the AD, and he says, "I should have known this wasn't a free lunch." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Hey, you know what? One of the things that I want to get into just for a second, and we won't dwell on it, but Bill Lenore had a two-handed forehand and a two-handed backhand, correct? You're right. Yeah, you're right. He yep. changed his, his forehand. Yeah, his right hand stayed on top. On both, for on, the, on both sides. So he didn't he didn't shift his hands when he when he changed. Well, he forehand. kind of changed his grip around a little bit, but he kept the same hand, Neil. So he's he right-handed, was, and he had his right yeah. hand on the bottom or the top. On the on the top. On the top. I see. I think he beat Newcomb at the Orange Bowl. He was good. I mean, he, oh, he was fantastic. He, he was a real clay quarter, and uh, he, he was. I thought we might get. Ash, because everybody respected Bill, and, and Ash that was kind of on our list of best we could hope for. But um, anyway, he was everybody knew Bill, and he was he was beating everybody. I mean, it was it was great find. I don't I couldn't have been any more fortunate to have a guy like that in town. Well, and, I'm interested. And, I'm interested to know about that because you know through the my history of seeing two-handers. There was Gene Mayer, who had an awesome two-hander, and, you know, uh, Hans Gildemeister, who I was lucky enough to have a win when we played USC. You probably don't remember, but USC came into town, I think, yeah. my sophomore, freshman year, I think it was. And um, actually, the guys that hit two-handed back, forehands, and Pancho Segura, they just seemed to do well. But you said he was the ultimate clay quarter, but did he have a pretty decent serve, or was the serve, you know, was that still the time when the, you had to keep your back foot on the ground when you served, or did that, you know, could well, you jump in? Well, he, he just had a, you know, he had a pretty good serve, and he worked hard to try to learn to volley, but uh, he wasn't outstanding like it would be today. In other words, he wouldn't, he, he couldn't dominate a point with his serve that much. He just wanted to get the ball in court consistently and deep and take it from there. Well, let me ask you a question. When he get a mid-court ball, I mean, could he hit his forehand like Kevin Curran would hit his two-handed forehand? Yeah, he, did, he didn't hit that hard, but he could. He'd he come just, in. He'd put it wherever he wanted to. Yeah, he, he just, you know, it's it just the game's progressed. and He he wouldn't wow you today, but he was awful good then. And, and he just, he wouldn't mess. He had great concentration. You know, he, he really was a fighter. And uh, very competitive that way. That's, he was a great uh, player. He, I could get the semis and national clay courts at uh, at River Forest. You know, he was he was was a good young player, but he he didn't couldn't quite excel when it came to hard courts and grass courts. And that uh -huh. uh, with the serve and uh, Yeah. 
It was a serve and volley so much more back in that day with so many court, uh, grass court tournaments, you know, internationally yeah. anyway. But um, I'm going to do just a quick thing with you, Coach, where – it's going to be. I'm going to be your psychiatrist right now. I'm okay. going to. I'm going. To, I'm okay. going to say a name. I'm going to say a name because we're going to get on to Texas here in a minute. But I'm going to say a name about some of these Arizona players. And if you can give me like just a, a three word thought on when it comes to your mind. And I'm going to start with the. Uh, I guess the son of one of the all time, winningest national gold ball people, Dodo, Cheney. Brian yeah. Cheney. He was a he was a good serve and volley type. Was he? He had a big, pretty big serve, good forehand. I could I kind of want him to roll his backhand. I could never get him convinced to do that too much, but he was very uh, athletic. Was a great uh, competitor. I, he, I think he's won about as many. Well, his mom won more. But he's won a lot. Yeah, many, he won them all. Younger, but, younger but, than Billy. No, he's a year or two after Billy. Yeah, so he's two years younger than Billy, maybe, or something like that. He came after Lenore. Fred Drilling. Uh, he came out my, my second year. was He was a senior in high school, and he, he so he's on my early teams, but Shaney came right after that. He was, yeah. Well, he's, yeah, he's won a lot of tournaments. But he after knocked that. off, uh, I think, you know, he, 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 we over, went over and played SC and UCLA. I think he won both matches. He was, he was good. So he, he beat beaten Lutz or someone. You know, Lutz or a Loyo Mayo or um, yeah. Marcel Lar or somebody like that. Well, okay, uh, Fred Drilling. Fred had a super forehand. He's still winning senior events today. He's probably hung in there longer than any of them. He was an exceptional forehand. He came over when he wasn't, looked like he was going to get to play that much at UCLA. That's when that. Passerell and Ash and Sanderlin and oh. David Reed, those guys yeah. around. He was he was just trying to. So he came over and redshirted a year. This Bill McCoffin couldn't believe giving a scholarship to a redshirt, uh, but he was a really good player. And and uh, we tried to have a little. We got out of use up his eligibility. We needed a little money, so we started a t- little tennis shop over near the public courts and he was my man he was over there trying to sell the half a dozen rackets we had on the wall <laughs> that's you know coach I I, I I told him that he was unaware that you gave him uh, that you know the red shirt that you weren't supposed to give a scholarship and that you that was the only scholarship I think you had at that time you know maybe you were just getting one scholarship and you you know, uh, and he said, "I never knew that." And but but we talked about you running, had a little had a little pro shop down on the end of the road outside of the campus at Arizona, and uh, he has has fond memories, and and he's still traveling the world winning tennis he's, tournaments. He's a pretty prominent. Uh had a t- pretty prominent tennis shop in Washington D.C. Yes, with a hitting alley, with a hitting alley, and and Is that right? yeah, that's right. And and now he's still giving he's giving free lessons. He lives down by me near Fort Myers, uh, and he gives free tennis lessons to children now, and and still you know uh, plays international tennis. What? Let, let me give you another name, Robin Ray. Is that the right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was out of Northern California, was he? and. Uh, he was uh, he was just a kind of a good ball striker. He just had good kind of flat shots, and and uh, he was still 
planned senior events for quite a while. He's, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know how, I'm trying to almost compare him to a golfer, a guy that really hits the ball well. He wasn't, didn't have a big game, but he was real accurate, real accurate and real smooth player. I, uh, he didn't know this, but I, I could have had Jim Osborne, but I was all committed to these guys that were on the team and uh, didn't didn't have a scholarship. And uh, But I always sort of felt like I owed it to the people that were with me and are doing the job, and Robin was one of those. But he was a good player. He came down to Texas while I was in Arizona. He beat uh, one of the Texas number one player who just won a Southwest Conference. Uh, and uh, he... he, 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 he Beat people. Uh, you remember who that was? You remember who this, the Texas? Yeah, but stuff? I don't want to tell him. Oh, okay, okay. This is Ted Gorski. He knows I know. But we'll just we'll just say his initials TG because Jim Bayless mentioned that boy in the last uh, interview I did with him. Yeah. So well, Ted, we've kind of laughed. He was Southwest Conference champion, so he was okay. a tough. Well, it's just a match too. He won. He had this <laughs> great tournament to win a conference. He beat some really everybody in a Southwest Conference is great. Pickens or some of these really top players. And, uh, you know, so we come in yeah, there a week later. He, he thought the season was over with, but we were kind of gunning for huh. <laughs> was it. Was it mostly hardcore tennis out there in uh, Arizona and UCLA yeah, we and all that? Sports and, it, you know, high, the Serving volley? Went, yeah, pretty much. And uh, yeah. we always we went to California, we always thought that, you know, the bar shots were going to land a little shorter because of... More dense or something, uh, altitude. Yeah, you know, the things are pretty fast in, in Arizona, not like Colorado, but they were still faster than the coast. Uh-huh. And that was our big competition. We'd every year we'd really make that trip over to play SC and UCLA. I've got you off your track as far as these, these short answers, but there you go. No, that's okay because this is a low key uh, interview. Our listeners, they're, they're, you know, they're not, not worried about that. But I, I want to. I want to start it again when we get to Texas. So you were in Arizona for three seasons, is that right? No, well, I was out there about 12 years. Oh, 12 years. Yeah, I see. from uh, 58 to 72. And I took off a year Uh-oh. to go to the University of Iowa for graduate work. I took a sabbatical, and then I went to Ohio State and got my doctorate. In, uh, in what 89. field? What field was it? Excuse me, in uh, 69. I in got, physical education? Yeah, education, Ph.D. in education, education. at Ohio State in uh, 69. And then how did the, we're going to end up by you telling me how you ended up at Texas, back at your alma mater after as those 12 as, years at Arizona. Well, uh, I was, you know, I'd always thought that'd be a deep place to come back to, but who knows. I was... Um, I think I was up at, I was doing a summer job at Snowmass, Colorado, Snowmass Tennis Club, or I Snowmass, that resort deal there. And uh, that's when Wilmer retired, or decided to retire, I guess. Uh, Pat Patterson, the swim coach here in Texas at the time, calls me and he says, you know, Wilmer's gonna retire, you better get your name in or something, let them know. So um, it's kind of funny that the, AD at Arizona was renting our house because he had a house under construction. He knew we were going to be gone for the summer. So uh, he was renting it for two or three months. And uh, so we, 
how that enters into it is when Patterson uh, calls to try to track me down, he says, uh, I think they these wife's name Nancy, just like my wife's first name. Anyway, he says, Nancy, you tell Snyder he needs to get his name out here in Texas. There's a job opening. Anyway, he knew about the, the job deal before I did. I think his wife had got it kind of alerted him that, that Texas was trying to find me. Uh-huh. I, but I was in Colorado at the time. I wrote a letter, kind of gave him a little bit, told uh, Bill Ellington and Coach Roll. Ellington was kind of doing the search. He's assistant associate AD. And uh, I told him, you know, a little bit about my experience and the interested in the job if they were interested in me. And... Um, that's how you know. That's kind of how it came about. But I don't. They, you know, they end up flying Nancy and I down for an interview, and um, Wilmer was the one that you know I think kind of tipped the scales. I don't know what all went on, but he I think he told them that uh, you know that he thought I would be the one they should hire. So it turned out I've played for the first coach and the second coach at Texas, the one that kind of got me in with AD as far as Coach Royal uh, hire me. And uh, so you kind of talked about that lineage or that times how Texas has uh, kind of had some of their own coaching for a number of years. That's interesting, and, and we're going to get into that because uh, Mr. Bayless mentioned that when he was talking a little bit about how it was a, a, a lot of, you know, uh, just as Dr. Penick had done Wilmer just kind of continued the tradition of of recruiting only Texas players to Texas and in the next episode we're going to talk about how that changed a little bit and I have some questions you know if you and Wilmer had any heart to hearts about that but uh, uh, I think that's 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 been a kind of a, a great chronology up to this point on getting to Texas and kind of going back home again and uh hopefully in the next couple of days, we can talk about that again and uh, and discuss Texas because there's a lot of things that I want to talk to you about that that were interesting to me that I have personal interest in too. Uh, but I just want to thank you for the time today and see if we can do it again soon and take yep. it from Texas to you know up to now and and we'll uh, maybe learn a little bit more about Texas history in tennis. Well, thanks. Appreciate the time and your interest. We'll be, we'll be here. Will you? Well, I, I, maybe, maybe the next time I can do it down in Austin. And we're also going to talk about your your best friend and 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 the guy that's helped you so much over the years, Coach Dave Woods, who was your assistant at Texas and later the in between, I guess the the UT women's coach and yeah. uh, how he was kind of like a right arm to you. Sure is. They still is. I talked to him this evening. Yeah, I understand. Well, understand that you guys are playing ping pong a little bit. Yeah, we've kind of shortened the court. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't. You, we can't. We can't let any left-handers out there. They I know that's terrible. Different ball. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we'll let you keep score if you want to. <laughs> Coach, I want to get in there and win. I want to get in there and win. I hear that you know. I hear that you guys are still pretty competitive on the ping pong court. Oh, we're still playing. Yeah, we we have to kind of watch who comes in. But yeah, we are. We're it's it's fun. I think most tennis players think they can play ping pong. So um, well, we're just like the rest. We're just like the rest of them. 
That's right. Well, Coach, thanks again for your time, and give your okay. best to my wife, and we're going to do it again soon. Thank you. Good evening. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. An hour and three minutes. That was good. And we are finished on the Chip and Gary Tennis Show. That was good.